Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 14 consecutive years. Please help us cover all of our expenses again this year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2022. The Advent Hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that is the hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, the fourth and final Sunday of the season of Advent, a prayer that the one whom we have been anticipating through prophecy and promise will actually come, and we anticipate him coming again in judgment. Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary and the final Sunday of Advent. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome. Great to be back, Todd. We're going to talk a lot about prophecy and fulfillment today, but how important is that as an overall theme in, in Advent? Advent gives us the sense that we are joining with the Old Testament people probably the most of any time of the church year. That's true in the old church year as well as the three-year lectionary. We focus on the prophecies in particular, and as we mentioned in year A, that's entirely in Isaiah. So certainly, and we hear this also in the Psalms, the intro, for example, that we're kind of expressing the cry, come Lord Jesus, not from the New Testament perspective, but from the Old Testament perspective. But these cries and prayers to the Lord for a Savior, for a Christ to come, are perfect for us in our context, waiting not for his first coming, his incarnation in Bethlehem, but for his second coming at the last day to judge the world, which for the Old Testament, they have all of those things kind of compressed into one, the great day of the Lord. In particular, today's reading, which is is Matthew's version of Christmas, we really should say, the prophecy is essential. It's quoted in the gospel reading, just as we're going to hear it straight from its original context in the Old Testament. Let's talk about, before we get into the propers themselves, what are some of the themes that connect everything together in this coming Sunday? Sure. Matthew's gospel gives us the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective, so to speak, when the angel comes to speak to him, to clarify him on what's going to happen, kind of different from the way Luke's gospel has the annunciation to Mary, and she has to consider this portent from the angel about what's going to happen. But that means that we're going to emphasize the virgin birth of Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel's all about. That's what the Old Testament is about, too. Again, the, the revised common lectionary chose the Old Testament reading 
as an attempt to show the fulfillment of the scriptures in the New Testament, I think that's something that we as Lutherans can appreciate too, in this sense that we want to make the statement that the Old Testament belongs to Christ Jesus, that it's by no means obsolete in that sense, because its purpose was always to speak about Christ Jesus just before he had come in the flesh. As we look through all of the readings, not only the gospel and the Old Testament based on it, we'll see a couple points of connection. One is David gets a mention in all three of the lections. So David and his house, his descendants, of which Christ is the offspring we've been waiting for. Also, the prophecy and fulfillment specifically focused on the incarnation of Christ Jesus. And I think we get a helpful reminder here in year A that even though we we think of Christmas as the feast of the incarnation bar none, really, we don't want to forget that, of course, life begins at conception in the womb. And we confess that also of Christ Jesus. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. And that's brought out very clearly both in the Old Testament and in the gospel today. And then lastly, maybe something to consider, which may or may not come up in sermons, is the focus on names, on being named, in fact. So we have in the Old Testament, Emmanuel, God with us, this name given to the child. Likewise, in the New Testament reading, the gospel, we hear that his name will be Jesus and why that name is given a specific first name, you might say, to Jesus, not a title, but what his commonly called name is. And then lastly, I think you can, if you want to find it there in the epistle reading, our name, which comes on account of Christ Jesus. So we know that we're called Christians. That word's not used in today's readings, but we see that we have our other names as Christians from Jesus Christ. The first proper to look at is, of course, the intro. It it is drawn from Isaiah. What do we find there? In Isaiah, it reads, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. The original intro for the fourth Sunday in Advent, which is still uh, there in the one-year lecture, is Rorate Cheli. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down the righteous one, referring to Christ. Here we kind of have a, a similar expression that we wish the Lord would get on with it already, that he would rend open the heavens, come down, be here in his glorious, and actually we should say fearful presence, since the mountain that it's referencing here is Mount Sinai. Reveal yourself, Lord, arise for your people, or in this case, come down from the heavens for your people. And then it goes into something that seems to be a total non sequitur, actually a contradiction to what just said, that impatience from Isaiah is brought together with Psalm 130 and this phrase, I wait for the Lord, it repeats itself, my soul waits for him. Now, how do you combine this impatience with what seems to be a call for great patience? Wait, slow down, take your time. Well, I think actually it's quite instructive for us on the way Christian waiting really is. So remember that optional gospel from the first Sunday in Advent series A was to be ready at all times, a pickup from the last Sunday of many church years where the theme is, you know not the day or the hour when the Son of Man returns. So what does it mean to be ready and to wait for him? Do we just sit around twiddling our thumbs? Are we idle? Are we uh, kind of 
bored, I guess, because we expect maybe this will last forever. Who knows? Well, the point is rather that our waiting is expectant. So Psalm 130 introduces, I think, a little bit of urgency when it says we're to wait for the Lord even more than watchmen wait for the morning, right? Finally, my shift will be over. I get to have some sleep. I got the short straw to do the night shift. But also, who can see anything in the dark? This is a terrifying time. If the enemy is going to strike, this is the ideal moment. But once the daylight comes, the opportunity has passed. So you see there's an expectation. There's an anxiousness even, but it is all bottled up in hope. And that's also how Jesus describes it with a pregnant mother, right? Her waiting for the child is expectantly, is joyfully, is eager to have it, and yet will stick to that hope until finally they have it. That's the kind of waiting that we have that could even cry out, get on with it, Lord, tear open the heavens, come down and rescue us. The collect for this coming Sunday is familiar by now, but you say it's also good to point out that it's rather timely. How so? This year, uh, as we're having this uh, discussion, it is the 18th of December. On the last days leading up to Christmas, there's a long tradition in the church of having special antiphons connected with Vespers, with the Magnificat, and they've become very beloved to us as the O antiphons, kind of immortalized in the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which I think almost every denomination knows as an Advent hymn. Today's O antiphon for the 18th of December is O Adonai, O Lord of Might, we translate it in English. And that fits really well with this traditional collect for this fourth Sunday. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might. And we also have then a reprise of a theme from the first Sunday, that the sins which weigh us down, we call them the threatening perils of our sins on the first Sunday, but that these sins, which now a different image, weigh us down, so we become sluggish, so we cannot rejoice, so we cannot, in fact, escape out of uh, whatever prison we found ourselves in, think of Psalm 130 that we just had, that these sins would be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy, so we can be free of the fetters, free of the weights. And notice, quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha from Revelation. So I think that ties very well with both the traditional intro and the intro we have here for year A. The Old Testament reading is almost by necessity here. Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, a king, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, oh, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah said, well, here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and the, choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since that day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. 
That last phrase sounds a little awkward in our English as it comes through from the Hebrew, but the point is that's the summary. All the stuff I was talking about before, why are their lands deserted because they're coming out for us? Who's going to be fall upon us and make these days that are just as bad as when Judah was wiped out? Well, that's when the king of Assyria came and swept away the northern kingdom. So the prophecy to Ahaz is not a positive one. It's a judgment on him and on the people that he rules, and then, by extension, upon his father's house. Which father is this? It's David himself, right? The good king after Saul, who is the origin of the monarchy there in Judah. And we see that Ahaz is a wicked king, almost entirely just from this one section. He says that he feigns piety, right? When he says, oh, I don't want to put the Lord to the test. Well, that's that's true. We're not to put the Lord, your God, to the test. Jesus quoted that against the devil. But when the Lord comes by his prophet to say, ask something, you ask it. You don't pretend, oh, well, I, I, I'll play this game. I won't. I, I wouldn't want to trouble the Lord like that. No, the Lord has said, I want to be troubled. Give me something. And since he won't provide something, the Lord does it himself. I think it's very interesting. We see that God is weary. This is the way the prophet has put it. So we know that Ahaz is wearying to the prophet. He's wearying to his subjects. He's wearying to all sorts of other people as well. Now he's going to give the same treatment to the Lord himself. Uh, he really reveals his character in this. I think in a way, we as the church, especially as we come here to the end of the calendar year, uh, as we consider what is around us, as we feel anxious, just as maybe the Old Testament people felt anxious awaiting their Savior, we feel anxious awaiting our Savior, Christ Jesus, and his return that will set all things that are wrong right. We're getting a little weary of sinful man, too, weary of our own sins, weary of those around us. God despises this. We likewise despise it too. But what is a judgment against Ahaz and all the wicked is a blessed consolation to those true Israelites and to us. Because the message is almost seems out of place here, right? But the judgment is the virgin will conceive and bear a son and his name will be Emmanuel. So we see that the Lord accomplishes something that no person could do. The Lord does something that is an utter miracle. He's made barren women unbarren so they could bear children. This is a whole order of magnitude greater that a virgin should conceive without a, a man at all. But of course, this is what the Lord prophesied from Genesis and onward. I want you to uh, put the emphasis here that really the point of that name, to come back to those one of a guiding themes, that the name Emmanuel is the real point of this prophecy, that this is about God coming. We don't get the commentary that we get in the New Testament here. The Hebrews are supposed to know what it means, right? But Emmanuel, El is God, and, and the rest is that he is present, is, is with his people. We see that whatever boy is used in kind of their sense of the time for the particular prophecy against Ahaz, it's speaking about how the young boy is in fact limited to any particular son, but any son is going to have to eat on the road, is going to have to eat off the land because everything's going to get attacked. It's going to be a desolate and dangerous time. But what is important here for this particular son that is being spoken about 
It's going to be a son that comes from a virgin, which points us that this has to be a bigger prophecy than just something going on in Isaiah's day. But this is a prophecy of the Lord himself coming to his people. So we know that Moses delights in the fact that the Lord goes with Israel. That's what makes them distinct. That's what he can't afford to lose as the prophet of God's people. But we should see that the Messiah was always predicted to be not just any old person that would arise out of Israel's line, but in fact, the Lord himself. It really does foreshadow all of the things that Jesus says to the Pharisees when he's trying to reveal to them and and get through to them his nature, who he is, right? How can David's son be David's Lord? Well, read the scriptures, see what conclusion they drive you to, and see and behold the works and the words that I have for you. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, we will talk about the appointed psalm next. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. What does it mean to be a man? The December issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the question of anthropology. And for us as Lutherans, understanding what man is and who man is begins first and foremost with understanding who Jesus is and what he has done, how he is the perfect man. Pick up your copy today by visiting cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Spiritual and Religious You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Do you want your neighbors and community to see what you're celebrating this Christmas season? Why not display an outdoor nativity in front of your home or church? It's a great way to show others what Christmas is all about, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Check out the Outdoor Nativity Store at outdoornativitystore.com. Durable, affordable, and American-made nativities, outdoornativitystore.com. OutdoorNativityStore.com
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, looking forward to Advent 4 with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, what is the appointed psalm for this coming Sunday? In our lectionary, we have Psalm 24. Here's a place where the Lutheran service book has departed from the Revised Common Lectionary. They appointed Psalm 80, Shepherd of Israel, lead Joseph like a flock. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You planted it, but now it's been torn down. Raise up a man from your right hand. I think that's a really fine commentary on this situation here with Ahaz. We're reminded of what happened to the northern kingdom, and uh, we know that the judgment of the southern kingdom, Judah, is imminent. So we ask for somebody else to be raised up to spare them. That, of course, is Emmanuel, Christ Jesus, the one who is virgin-born. Psalm 24 probably fits well emphasizing this phrase about who is speaking. It's a king, right? And we see how miserable a king Ahaz is. And yet there is a new king who is proclaimed, although not named that way here, that is the son of the virgin, Emmanuel, and he is coming for us. I think also this Psalm 24 is good in general for Advent. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. There's a few Advent hymns based on that. And it fits maybe even better with the first Sunday in Advent and Palm Sunday's theme, right? Who is this king of glory who enters in? Well, it's the Lord, mighty in battle. It's Emmanuel. Our epistle reading is Romans chapter 1, beginning at the very first verse. How does it read? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We return to Romans in this season. We had a break for James in the third Sunday. And why do we hear the beginning fourth, right? Well, because this is Paul's Christmas account, his incarnation account, small as it may be, and kind of accidentally, it's a, a passing description of what the gospel of God is. But I think that's very helpful for us to see that St. Paul teaches that the incarnation is in some ways, a summary of the gospel. I love the Christmas hymn that Bach uses, uh, a hymn by Johann Rist, Break forth, O beauteous heavenly light, that says this child, though weak in infancy, our confidence will be he'll burst Satan's bonds and make peace with God. And you think, how could a little baby do that, right? But it's as if the beachhead is here, and uh, all we have to do is wait for the whole story to play out. This is our Lord, who is going to be our conqueror, who's going to go to the cross, who's going to rise again, who's going to ascend on high and reign as king forever. So a beautiful little passage and a beautiful, if maybe out of Paul's context, perfect for our context here in Advent. I think we see again prophecy mentioned here and highlighted. So Paul wants to say this gospel is not entirely new, even though we call it the New Testament in Christ's blood, because the prophets in the Holy Scriptures have already been talking about it and promised it for a long time. 
But that means that all of it is pointing to Jesus Christ, all of that Old Testament, all of those scriptures. And this is a theme that Matthew in particular in his gospel brings out as he has so many citations from the Old Testament. We have that other theme that really connects for this day. David is mentioned again, which should bring to mind all the promises of God to him, particularly that of his own body, he will set on the throne a king forever. This is now Jesus Christ, son of David. Interestingly, together with this, we also have Paul explaining to us the significance of the resurrection, that this is a public declaration by the Father that this is indeed his son. We've heard him say that a few times, of course, in the Gospels, but it's a particular declaration that he is risen. Therefore, he is the son of God in whom all power has been vested, all authority has been given, as Jesus will say at the end of Matthew's gospel. In this epistle reading here, I'm curious about the inclusion of the resurrection that you mentioned, that he is risen. I don't know. In a sense, that's the end of the story, isn't it? And it seems like we're interested mostly in the beginning of the story. I do think that's already a theme that we see in Advent. We started, remember, with the Lord processing into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, which seems out of place, certainly chronologically. Now we're a little more chronological that we're hearing a prophecy of Jesus. We're going to see it fulfilled in the message from the angels. Finally, by the end of today, we'll have uh, at least a hint that, yes, indeed, this child came to fruition and was born. But it's good for us to have the entire story, the entire work, that is, of Christ Jesus in mind. The reason he's come into the flesh is to suffer and die for our sins. And the fact that that flesh is risen from the dead is what gives us the hope of the resurrection at the last day, too. What does it mean called to be saints? This is beautiful. So I mentioned that names could definitely be a theme that we see throughout the readings, too. So Paul brings that out when he says, the obedience of faith is for the sake of his, that's Jesus' name, among all the Gentiles. As Paul does often, as we heard previously from Romans, the Gentiles have been promised to be heirs, even way back in Isaiah's day, even back in the prophet's writings, which is excellent since Paul receives so much grief for going and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles without making them jump through all of the Jewish hoops. Paul is uh, at pains to say that this gospel extends to them as well. And in this, he has a great affinity with the gospel of Matthew that, along with the other gospels, but particularly in Matthew, has the Gentiles always showing up at the right place in the way that the Jews don't. So uh, eventually we'll get to hear about the wise men and they're kind of the first astonishment. Where do these guys come from? And yet we see they bow down, they prostrate themselves before the baby in Mary's lap because they get it. They believe. They hear the prophecies of the scriptures. And even though they weren't given primarily to them as Gentiles, they receive them, they believe them. And Paul wants to say, well, they've always been called. And in Christ Jesus, we ought to continue to call them. This is great news for us also, that we are named in Christ Jesus. And in the two line here, we have two wonderful phrases that we ought to bring out. I suppose the first one is, dear to our hearts here, and to the listeners, because it's a phrase that uh, Pastor Will Whedon loves to use, people loved by God. Here we have it quite literally in our English translation, but we have it many other places, like in Peter's epistles, where he simply says, beloved. That is, I mean, who are we loved by? The speaker, the preacher, the writer? 
Maybe, but most of all, we are loved by God. He is the lover of mankind. He sent his son now in love to redeem us. And together with that, we are called to be saints even now. Called to, I suppose, could give a hint that it hasn't quite come yet or that we can't use that name. But we see throughout the rest of the epistles and the scriptures in the New Testament that the word saint is very rarely used for those who are departed in the faith, as we tend to use the word now, but often is used, like in Ephesians, to address the living, breathing congregation right there now. That's why it's totally legitimate and right for us to call one another saints, that is, those who are made holy by Christ Jesus and his name. How does the gradual for this season fit within the context of this coming Sunday? Yeah, maybe you have it memorized by the fourth time around. Well, I think the royalty comes out here, and we ought to see that nice connection. Behold, your king is coming to you. And uh, here we know that he is the king. He's the son of David. And also that he comes in the name of the Lord. This names matter if you're a king, if you've got to determine that indeed you're from the royal line. And we see then that he comes from the Lord quite dramatically, that he is conceived by and from the Lord's own substance, as the gospel will tell us. And that means that he is, in fact, true God, not only true man. What about the verse? The verse will be the same every year, and it makes perfect sense for us today. It's this core passage from Isaiah, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. LCMS Worship sends out a monthly email with upcoming prayers of the church, lectionary summaries, prayer calendars, worship materials, and more. Find out how to sign up for LCMS Worship's monthly emails at lcms.org slash worship, lcms.org slash worship. We'll get into Matthew's Christmas story next. Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 14 consecutive years. Please help us cover all of our expenses again this year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2022. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Please know that you are welcome at Ascension Lutheran Church in Niles. We believe that every word of Holy Scripture is true. 
Jesus died and rose again for your salvation. We pray for each other. It's a priority. We help each other in times of need. We help each other grow in faith. We encourage one another. We truly love one another. We have room for you and those you love. Ascension Lutheran Church. Niles, Illinois. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. I like to think of the deaconess vocation as driven by two things, the love of Christ and the needs of our neighbor. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. James Busher, Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, on the vocation of deaconess. First, the deaconess is moved by the love of Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve. Yet I think we can also see the profound needs around us, broken families, loneliness, despair. Deaconesses help the church to become a true family that manifests the love of Christ in our love for one another and especially for those in need. For more information on the Deaconess Studies program at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, visit ctsfw.edu or call Concordia Theological Seminary at 1-800-481-2155, 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Is it significant that Matthew, from the very beginning, refers to him as Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah? Yes, and it's brought out most clearly here. You don't always get nice definitions in the Bible like we want to teach it in catechism, but we really do here. And and that's the characteristic of names in Hebrew, if you're in the know on Hebrew. And it is very nice that Matthew takes the time to help us out with the definition. So he does it, first of all, by adding to that Isaiah passage, Emmanuel means, let me tell you, God with us. But he also does it when he mentions that his name shall be called Jesus for, and this is an explanation that comes out of that name, he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is equivalent to Joshua in Hebrew and therefore is derived from the word Savior salvation, saving. So why is he named Jesus? Because he is given that task to be a savior. And we often think the word Christ means savior, or it is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah. We tend to use that word like you think you're a Messiah or you have a Messiah complex. That means that you want to save people. I mean, not false in this case, but uh, I suppose other people could be Christ's too, as long as they're christened, as long as they're anointed, which would be an English translation of the word. But really, Jesus is the word and the name that means Savior. Christ means he is set apart for this duty, but, but it's his name that actually tells us what the duty is to be the Savior. Joseph is kind of the eyes through which we see these events unfolding, The whole issue of the virgin birth is treated very in an interesting way here by Matthew. It says she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. No more said. I think you're supposed to understand that. I mean, found, I thought we were doing active. These things were happening and all of a sudden we find out, well, it was discovered, right? I mean, the implications should be apparent to us. If you're pregnant before you've become married, something funny has gone on. And Joseph has what I think is a natural reaction, although our passage takes the time to point out two things. He's a just man. He knows what needs to be done. He knows what is, he is not going to condone sin. And so he's got to do something about this. But also he doesn't want to put her to shame. He he has lenity. So he's going to divorce her, as the law says he has a right to do. But he's going to do it in a quiet way. He's not going to draw undue attention to her. He is a kind and compassionate person, however just and righteous. But that's why the angel has to intervene to explain to him that, that something miraculous has happened here in this case, that he has no fear that he would become a sinner or an adulterer by taking her as his wife, but in fact that this is unique in all of the world, in all of history. She has conceived by the power of God from the Holy Spirit. Go into a little more detail. You mentioned it a moment ago, what Jesus means, but Joseph is not given the privilege of naming his own son. This name has been chosen by God for the child. Yeah, that means the very last phrase of our text today, he called his name Jesus, is significant. Luke 
really kind of shows this better in a way because you have John, again, being a forerunner to Jesus, right? When the child is born, when he's circumcised and it's time to give the name, usually you'd expect to have, uh, you know, Zechariah named after the old man. I suppose this child probably ought to be Joseph named after him. Zechariah tells us, no, it's going to be John just the way the angel told us. Joseph does the same thing here. Not only does that mean the Lord is in the mix on this, the Lord is guiding these activities, he is making these things happen, but it has a special significance certainly for Joseph that he is not the biological father of this child. Nevertheless, he's going to receive his name. He's going to be part of his lineage. We see here that he is a son of David, and so that means Jesus also will be. We should say also there's no, it's possible that Mary also was uh, from the lineage of David, which would satisfy, I suppose, that lineage in two ways. But most important is that Joseph proves himself to be a just and uh, honorable and a decent man also in this. He obeys the Lord's word. He is faithful. He listens to what the Lord says, and he is glad to do it. And if that brings shame to him, or if that means he doesn't get to pass on his personal honor, he is not lacking in that. He knows that to receive the Lord's word and the Lord's promises is far surer anyway. He is a savior now, and, and the savior is in fact the one he'll be given guardianship of. Joseph himself is referred to by the angel as son of David, which could, of course, be just read as a descendant of David, which he is, as you said. But Dr. Jeff Gibbs has suggested, and I don't think he's done it, maybe not in writing, maybe he has, that had the whole business with Alexander the Great and his generals and then the installation of Herod by the nascent Roman Empire there, had that not happened, Joseph would have actually been the rightful heir to David's throne. He thinks Matthew's trying to make that point with both the genealogy and this reference of Joseph, son of David. What do you think about that? That is a very interesting point and helpful to remember that we actually, even though the purpose of the, the three-year lectionary is to lay out the Gospels kind of in order, because there's adjustment made for the church here, and because some things are determined not still not something we really want to read, I guess, genealogies tend to get that bad rap, we've missed the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, which comes just before this, that genealogy. So yeah, having the further context shows there's a lot of attention given to this lineage, and there's a lot of attention given to Joseph, who seems to be other than that a nobody, but now we see is highlighted. So I, th I think that's a very interesting point that he makes. Let's talk about the reference then that we've mentioned several times to Isaiah's prophecy of the other name that this child bears. Yeah. Jesus is Emmanuel. That's a, such an, uh, I mean, a rich statement. It's similar, and I hope all, all of our listeners know this, to say Jesus is Lord or our Lord Jesus is to say a whole sentence that means a heck of a lot. It means he's the true Caesar, so never mind that. He's the true king, so never mind Herod or whoever's there from those guys. That he is Yahweh, the Lord, that we've always talked about from the Old Testament. And now we know that Jesus is, we could say, Yahweh is our Savior. The Lord is our Savior. So it also comes into that kind of fish acronym that was used everywhere, that this is Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. And now to put Emmanuel in the mix with it is to be very clear, Jesus, our Savior, is God with us. 
So God with us, I suppose, could mean that God is on our side, that he's rooting for us. Like he renames uh, Jacob to make this point that, okay, you've wrestled with God and prevailed. I now will wrestle on your behalf. I will be your God. We sing this whenever we sing, dear Christians, one and all rejoice. But as so many things with the Lord, when Christ is incarnate, Now this really comes into its fullness because now we see the Lord is not just with us in spirit or behind us or assisting us, which of course he is, but he is present walking with us on earth, in our flesh, together in solidarity, and he's of one substance with us according to his human nature. So this is marvelous. And for what purpose? His name says it all, to save us from our sins. So the two names necessarily go together. I mean, it could be as simple as Jesus is what he does and Emmanuel is who he is, but Matthew sandwiches it, Emmanuel, in between the two references to the name Jesus in order to us to see what? Well, the, the little boy who has some spurious uh, background, I suppose, and is the carpenter's son there in Nazareth, that he actually is God in the flesh. So all of this is at work. Jesus is almost always assumed to be kind of a human name, or, or we tend to, to think of the human nature when we hear the name Jesus, maybe. We tend to think of it as a first name, right? And Christ, I suppose we think of as a last name. That's a little misnomer. It's more of a title. But we think, well, that means God, or Emmanuel's much clearer. But Matthew wants us to see from the beginning, this is the whole story. The one who is born of Mary and Joseph into their family is not Joseph's biological son. He is no ordinary child. He is God come in the flesh. Finally, on the gospel reading, talk about Joseph's, you said earlier, he's portrayed here as a just and upright man, and he also is perfectly obedient in Matthew's telling of this account. Yeah, in all ways. I mean, one that you would listen to the the dream is is more than I, in my skepticism, uh, think I would be willing to do sometimes. So he shows us his willingness to, to even take something that seems beyond comprehension, but to believe it according to the word of the Lord from his messengers. God granted that we would do the same. And that he, I suppose, gives absolute space. So he is not afraid to take her as his wife. This betrothal becomes a marriage. And that all of it is laid out so clearly. Again, Matthew's focus is not on anything that comes later, but it's especially focused on what happens until this child is born. Because we want to want to make it abundantly clear that he is from the Holy Spirit, that he is the Son of God, not by nature, at least in the usual way, a son of Joseph, a man. Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, when we return some of the hymns of the day, beginning with, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. 
deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin, and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamel.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. Folks, you can help us equip the priesthood of all believers by making a year-end tax-deductible donation to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. No gift is too small. You can make a financial contribution by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. Sean, we come to the hymns of the day, beginning with the one we've been hearing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Why is it especially appropriate? So, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is based on those seven O antiphons that belong to the Magnificat at Vespers on the seven days preceding Christmas Eve. It was uh, translated uh, by John Mason Neal, an Oxford Movement Anglican, uh, who is well-beloved and probably the best English translator we have of these Latin and Greek hymns from the earlier church. But it's a fantastic uh, collection and maybe repurposing of these antiphons that are so distinctive and that we in our church may not have a chance to use unless your church is blessed to have vespers every single day in Advent. Actually, that's not a horrible idea. 
this hymn will always be sung if you sing as the hymn of the day on fourth Sunday of Advent, regardless of lectionary. It will always fall on one of the days where an O antiphon is appointed. If you were uh, lucky enough, I suppose, to get three days of church in a row with Advent 4 and then Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day, then you'd get to sing O Emmanuel on the proper day. The hymn has a shuffled it around a little bit so that Emmanuel is the first one. That's especially useful here for this reading to pair it up with Isaiah and to pair it up with Matthew chapter 1. For uh, our purposes today, maybe it's worth mentioning the third stanza, which doesn't come through in the Hebrew word that would have been there in the old antiphon. I'll read that antiphon. O Adonai, that's the Hebrew word for Lord that was often substituted instead of saying Yahweh out loud. O Adonai and ruler of the house of Israel who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai, come with an outstretched arm and redeem us. So we hear that in the hymn, come Lord of might, uh, who had the tribes on Sinai's height. In ancient times, you gave the law in majesty and awe. Rejoice, Emmanuel will come to you. How would you summarize the general message of this fourth Sunday of Advent? Well, let's borrow from that Psalm 24. Who is this King of glory? Well, once we've heard and listened and and investigated all of these scriptures on this Sunday, we will know who that King of glory is. He is of the Holy Spirit. He is born of a virgin because he is God's son, eternal from before the beginning of the world, and yet now has entered into our flesh. Thus, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us and in our flesh. And we know also what his purpose is. He is Jesus. He is the one who has come, the Lord who has come to save us from our sins. And that is what gives us a name too, that we are Christians. We are the children of David's descendant also. We are those who belong to Jesus Christ. We are those who are beloved of God, whom he has given his own son to redeem. And we are those who now uh, have a way into holiness, because we are children of Jesus Christ. How would you respond to someone who says that this kind of front loads, by telling Matthew's story of the nativity, it kind of steals the thunder from Christmas? Everybody's interested in uh, pushing Advent to the side and starting Christmas early. I guess in year A, you actually get that opportunity. No one can unseat Luke, whose beginning of his gospel is so beautiful and so reminiscent of poetry in the Old Testament already. That's the one we always have to hear on Christmas. I think we're pretty wise to do it and maybe even to read it in the old translation. But Matthew's gospel, I think, helps us much like this series, to explain in all of the details so we can be ready for the Easter egg, so we can be ready to to get all of the things, the richness that are is hidden in the scriptures and know what it all means and delight in it. It's so important in the church here as we consider the life of Christ and his works and his person that we're never going to a movie and trying to suspend our knowledge. We're never trying to pretend we don't know the story or how it ends 
or that we're all experiencing this for the first time, or, or even worse, that we're trying to experience it just as the apostles did. They're not a great example if you look at the rest of the Gospels. But rather, Jesus himself, all throughout his ministry, said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Why did he tell us that? Because he's come to give his life as a ransom for many. He's come to be the Savior of the world. And we see that the angel is at pains to tell Joseph and Mary that even before Christ has been born. We see that the prophets themselves have been saying this for hundreds of years. So, no, as we who are blessed to be in the time when our Lord has come in the flesh, when he is a man with us, for us, at all times, no, we don't have to pretend that we're coming to this for the first time. In fact, the whole point, just like the series that we're doing right now, is to enrich us so that we can be prepared to hear these texts and to delight in them this year, next year, all years. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastors Brian Wolfmiller and Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions, and we'll talk with Dr. Scott Yenner about council culture in higher education. Then on Wednesday, we'll look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.